Second Kings, if you will, please. Second Kings will be in chapter 5 tonight. And uh, I want to say again how much I have enjoyed uh, that good singing tonight, good picking and singing. And I'll tell you what makes it good. They're very, I mean, obviously, I'm going to state the obvious here, but they're very talented. Did y'all notice that? Uh, they're very, very, very talented. Uh, but it's got a touch on it. Did y'all notice that? Man, got a touch of God on it. By the way, I'd rather have the the lat the 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 latter than the former, right? Rather have the if you're gonna only have one, have a touch on it. I'd rather I'd rather hear somebody's got a touch of God on them, beat a number two wash tub and sing out of tune, amen. Than I would some of these southern gospel stuff. Man, I saw some folks on some kind of cruise, southern gospel cruise. I thought, good Lord, be stuck on one of them boats for Six days with all that going on. I mean, if you like it, that's fine. But uh, I thought, man, that'd be horrible. You can't get away from it. Where are you going to go? Out in the middle of the ocean. And uh, I know they're not all bad, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm having trouble thinking of any good ones right now. But anyway. And I'd rather, I'm sorry, preacher. I would get you in trouble. But I, uh, I forgot. I, I'm an evangelist now. I'm not supposed to have these kind of opinions. I'm supposed to just... You know, when I was a pastor, I didn't care what, man, I don't care. I'll go preach in my pulpit, you know, but I don't have a pulpit anymore. So I'm, a, I'm in evangelism now, but I appreciate that good, appreciate the good touch. I will say something about that. The preacher uh, let me put some prayer cards on the table back there, and I want you to get one of these for at least two reasons. Number one, uh, because uh, we definitely need your prayers, and we want you to pray for us and keep us in your prayers. And if you could stick this in your Bible or somewhere, we'll where you'll remember to pray for us. We sure would appreciate that. Number two, I want you to see my family on here. I wish I could have brought them with me, and I'll definitely do that next time. But I want you to know, because I, I think people think that I'm weird, you know, and I am a little bit, but I, look, I have a nice family, all right? So I'm not that weird. And uh, think, I know people look at me and think, that guy don't have any friends, uh, but I have at least six. And uh, they have to be my friends, so... I make them. But uh, anyways, I, I want you to pray for our family, if you will. I, I was thinking about, you know, uh, just uh, I'm, I'm just fresh in this thing. My last Sunday at, at, uh, at, at the church was December 3rd, and so January is really kind of the first official month uh, traveling full-time and things. And, uh, and I was thinking how God worked in, in, in our life, and I'm not, I, I could take a whole hour and tell you all about it, but I will say that, believe it or not, it actually started, and I was telling the preacher this last night, preacher and, uh, and his family, that uh, it actually started here is where it started. And um, it's uh, God began to do work. I, we were here on vacation. We just come down after Christmas down to Gulf Shores with our family, and I, I popped in on a Sunday, and uh, Brother Fleur let me preach that Sunday. He gave, me a, he gave me a book out of the bookstore called In God's School by T.S. Rendell. I hope you've read that book. It's tremendous. And, um, and uh, I had to fly back to North Carolina right in the middle of our vacation. I had a funeral uh, to do. And so I, my brother-in-law drove me to Pensacola, and I got on an airplane and flew to Greensboro, North Carolina. And on the trip, I had that book with me, and I just pulled it out, and I began to read it. And uh, God messed me up with that book right there. I began reading about the, how God uses disturbances and God uses different things in your life. And, and, uh, and uh, I don't even remember exactly. I couldn't necessarily point you to a specific page, but I just remember every page I read. It just uh, God spoke in my heart about evangelism, step out, go by faith, trust God. 
and uh, and just every page. In fact, I almost didn't finish it. It just scared. I, it was like a scary feeling, like it was just. I was so you know comfortable and everything uh, going pretty smooth, and I just thought, man, you know, I was in a place where I felt like I could be, you know, just for the rest of my life. Good church. And, uh, and I was reading that book, and it just messed me up. In, a, in, a, in fact, I, I wouldn't pick it up. I put it on the shelf, and I never would. I never would every time i just look at it, I would just try to forget that I even looked at it, you know. And, uh, and the Lord just used that to get the ball rolling. And, and uh, all of 2021, that just in my mind, and 2022 in my mind. And, and uh, at the end of 2022, I, I was talking to a good friend of mine and told him that, what I felt like God was doing in my life, and then, you know, several months later, I was going to resign, and then I got scared, and I didn't do it, and, uh, uh, and uh, just started thinking, man, that's crazy. Why in the world would I do that? That's crazy, and uh, so I didn't, but then I did, and so here I am, and so pray for us, all right, is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> uh, but thanks for giving me that book, and I appreciate it, and, uh, but I don't want any more. Don't give me no more books. So I'm good. I'm good. I'm done reading. I haven't read anything since. I'm done. I, I quit reading. And uh, so, uh, except my Joyce Myers book. I never get convicted when I... I never get convicted reading those books. They never make me want to quit my day job or anything like that. You know? so, so, I'm just going to stick to those. All right. But anyways, all right. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 5. And uh, let's read a few uh, verses tonight. Will you stand with me? Let's stand together tonight just for a moment. I've been sitting for a little bit. Let's start in verse 20, and we'll finish the chapter. Just about seven or eight verses, all right? Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verse number 20. The Bible says, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him, so Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags and with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare him before him. Bear them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house and he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. And I want to preach on this thought just for a few moments tonight. That same old story of sin. That same old story of sin. Father, we love you. We're thankful, Lord, for the good spirit in this place tonight. Thank you for the good uh, congregational singing and the special music tonight. You bless their heart. Lord, please continue to work during the preaching tonight. Lord, I know, uh, Lord, uh, 
Lord, what you put on my heart tonight. Lord God, you know you've placed this on my heart. I don't know who it's for or what it's for, but God, I pray that you would do the work and get all the glory for it. And Father, we ask these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 5, is really uh, probably one of the most, records for us one of the most familiar scenes in the ministry of Elisha. Elisha, uh, obviously a great miracle ministry, more miracles than Elijah, his predecessor, uh, performed. And probably out of all of them, this would be uh, maybe one of the most uh, one of the most familiar. The cleansing of this leper by the name of Naaman. When I thought about this chapter, and I thought about what's going on in chapter five, I thought about how we could uh, we could divide it up in maybe three sections and really identify it by some familiar themes, themes that ought to be uh, familiar to us, stories that would be. Uh, familiar to us. I thought about as, uh, and, and I, I, I can't get bogged down in preaches. I'd love to, but I got to get to the end of it. But I, I did, I did want to show you this because when you look at the beginning of this chapter here, it's a familiar story. Uh, this man by the name of uh, of Naaman. He is a uh, he is a captain. He's a mighty man. He's a wealthy man. A man of uh, popularity and position and prominence, possession and power and all kind of things that he has. But his problem is he's a leper, and we know that through a process here of this little made and all that man what a great what a great uh, story that is but 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 he is cleansed as he finds the prophet and he dips in the Jordan River and he's cleansed of his leprosy and when I read that I thought about this that that is a that 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 reminds us of that same old story of salvation doesn't it everybody has a different testimony but really everybody has the same testimony and that is we were sinners we were lost without God we were like Naaman we were we were diseased right I mean we might have, you might have had everything going good for you except you're a sinner and it doesn't matter how much money you have it doesn't matter how much uh, uh, how many people that like you and look up to you and how much power and authority you have listen if you've never been saved you're messed up amen and you need a cleansing and there's only one place you can go and that is to the God of heaven he is the only one that can change somebody from the inside out and everybody can look at the story of Naaman and identify that same old story of salvation I'm glad I got a story of salvation. Mine's a little different than yours, but it's all the same. I was a sinner and I called on God and He cleansed me of my sin. Amen. Glad I'm saved tonight. And we can look at that same old story of salvation. And then, and then it's amazing to me how this man uh, who doesn't know Jehovah God, never really heard of him, I don't guess. In fact, he has been, uh, he's been uh, waging war on the people of God and Israel. And uh, yet God has grace on him and God helps him and all these things. But he doesn't know anything about anything to do with God. All he knows is a life of idolatry. But immediately when he's cleansed and he puts faith in the, in the one true and living God, it's amazing how his life changes. Isn't that amazing? He, he begins to be aware of things that he was not aware of before. I call that that same old story of sanctification. Don't you have a story like that? You remember when you got saved and then right after you got saved, things that didn't bother you before, they bothered you now? He started talking about, you know, telling Elijah, look, i got to go back to my master and, and, he, and this house of Ramon and worship there and, and with my master and, and all these things. And, and, and he started thinking about the things he's got to go back to and it began to bother him on the inside. Can I just be honest? That's what happens when you get saved. Listen, this man didn't have to take uh, you know, a discipleship class or uh, he didn't have to be in church six months before he realized, you know what, I can't go back and, and just live the way I used to live before. Listen, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
old things are passed away. I think they just sang about a minute ago that he makes a change in our, in our life. And it's that same old story of sanctification. I know it's progressive and I know it's not altogether immediate, but there is a change in somebody's life when they get saved, no doubt about it. And then when we come to our text tonight, we come to the end of this chapter, there's another familiar theme that we find here in this chapter. It's not only the same old story of, of, of salvation and that same old story of sanctification. What we find, as I, I'm using it for my title tonight, it's that same old story of sin. Of sin. Uh, this, this servant of Elijah, of Elijah, and if I get this mixed up, it's because I am mixed up, all right? It's a, a lie. Shuh, not Elijah. Did I say Elijah a minute ago? Elisha. If I say Elijah, just say, oh, he meant Elisha. All right. Uh, this isn't easy. You come do it. All right. This isn't easy. Elisha. Elisha. But uh, anyways, uh, so this servant of Elisha, um, he is bumfuzzled. Why in the world they, that Elisha would turn down such a generous donation? And he doesn't understand it. And so he concocts this lie to deceive Naaman out of uh, some money and out of, uh, out of some possessions. And we find that it is just a classic illustration of what is sin. When something is put outside of the boundaries of the will of God and it's outside the boundaries of the Word of God and yet you step over the boundaries and you go after it anyway, that is what sin is. That is what a trespass is. And that is, that is what sin. And we find this man Gehazi, uh, he is a servant of Elisha, but now by the end of the chapter he has what the man that got cleansed started out with. Uh, the, the, the Naaman got out of sin. And, 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 and Gehazi went into it, jumped right into it. And now uh, he is uh, faced with the consequences of his actions. It's a, it's, a, it's a story that we hear much more than I ever want to hear it. This story of sin. Somebody fell. This family's out of church. This preacher's not in the ministry anymore. There's a, it's a story of a, of a man who knew, he was so familiar with the work of God. Talking about somebody that had a behind the scenes look at the miracles and at the ministry. And, and he got to do things nobody else got to do and see things nobody else got to see and yet he threw it all away for just a few pieces of money and some changes of garments. I wish I never heard stories like that. I wish I didn't know what that was like. But uh, those are common, common stories. That same old sad story of sin. Can I, can I tell you something about sin? It's amazing when it comes to sin that people think, they, they seem to think that their situation is unique. You talk to anybody that really just throws it all away for whatever sin, fill in the blank, and they throw everything away for that, for just a few moments of pleasure, you'll find out that really at the core and at the bottom of it, they felt like their situation was unique. They were justified some way. Well, you don't understand what somebody did to me. You don't understand what, what I was being uh, deprived of. You don't understand what I... And it's always the same. And when Satan comes, I believe he does this. I, mean, I don't believe... I know he does this. When Satan comes and he tempts us, uh, he always tries to take our situation and make it... And, and try to throw some sympathy on it. Well, you deserve better than what you have. And you deserve more than what you have. And nobody's had it as bad as you. And nobody's had it like that. But can I tell you something about the devil? He is a liar, liar, 
pants on fire, nose as long as a telephone wire, amen. Uh, he's a lie. And, and listen, he always is going to paint a picture like that, but it's never, it's never true. Can I tell you what? Let me tell you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. There is no temptation taking you but such as is what? Common to man. That means any situation you're in, any temptation you're facing, any solicitation to sin that you're dealing with, somebody else is going through the same situation. Your situation is not justified because it's unique in some way. Sin is sin is sin is sin. There's never a justification for sin. It's always wrong in any situation, in any, uh, in any light you paint it in. And listen, it's never changed. Sin is always the same. It may have different faces and it may have different, be in different places, but, but sin always leaves the same traces. It's always the same. It's always the same sad story of sin every single time. And it may be that the situations might change and a few details might change, just like our salvation story. You know, the details are different, the places might be different, the faces might be different, everything. But really it's all the same story of how God saved us by His grace. It's the same thing when it comes to a fall into sin or a plunge into sin. Listen, the, the details might be a little bit different, but it's always the same every single time. In fact, every single sin that you've ever committed, big or small or however you want to classify it, or whatever, gross or acceptable or whatever it is, every single sin that you and I have ever committed, you can actually trace it back all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 3 and the way that the devil uh, dealt with Eve in the garden. And you'll find out it is exactly the same. It's always the same. Every sin that has ever been committed, it's the same in Genesis 3 as it is in 2 Kings 5 as it will be next Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. It's always the same. Every single time. And when I read this story, I could not help but notice uh, over the, the, it's the same themes over and over the same thing when somebody when somebody goes into sin and jumps into sin and throws it all away I, I notice the same things coming up over and over it plays over and over and over and over and over again and they and I, I just made up a word I don't think this is a word but to me there it's Eden esque it reminds me of the Garden of Eden it, it, it's just the same thing it's the same thing Genesis three Second Kings five and then tomorrow for us it's always the same. How, how does somebody go from here to there? How do they get from servant of Elisha to, to a leprous and absolutely ruin their entire life? Well, can I tell you, it's always the same. It's the same old story of sin. And there's a few levels here. Let me give them to you real quick, and you'll find that they should be familiar to us because we should know this by experience, and we see this play out again over and over and over again in the Word of God. Let me show you the first step. And these are steps down, by the way, down into, into his sin. Number one, let me show you, first of all, Gehazi, first of all, he despised his ministry. He despised his ministry. I was reading this, and I was preaching through the life of Elisha here, and, and, and it's, it's just something caught my attention in verse number 20. Let me, let me, let me show you. That. Here's, here's what I underline in my Bible. It says, but, but Gehazi, and notice what it says right here, the servant of Elisha, the man of God. Do you see that right there? I thought that was interesting, that, 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 that phrase is put there, that, that descriptive. 
that description of Gehazi is put in that verse right there. You say, well, why is that interesting? That's who he is. He is the servant of Elisha, the man of God. Yeah, but it's almost like the text is introducing us to Gehazi, like we don't know who he is. But if you've kept up with the story and you've read from the beginning, you know who Gehazi is. You know he's Elisha's servant. In fact, when we come to our text right here, now this is the eighth time that Gehazi is mentioned by name in the Word of God. He's already been mentioned. He's already been identified. We know who he is. We know what his position is. Uh, we know what he's been doing. He is the servant of Elisha, uh, the man of God. But it's almost like there is an emphasis on his position right here. It's almost like there is an emphasis on his ministry. Right before he takes the plunge into sin, right before he jumps off into this awful gross sin, it, we are reminded one more time of exactly who he is and exactly what he has been doing. And I thought about what a privilege it would be to be the servant of Elisha, the man of God. Now, don't you think there's other, these, all, these little seminaries all over the place? They got in Bethel and Jericho and Gilgal and all these places. Don't you think, don't you think that these, these young preacher boys would die to have the opportunity to travel with Elisha? Don't you think that would be awesome to be the servant of Elisha, to get to see the behind the scenes of all these miracles and, and behind the scenes of the ministry and one-on-one -on -one personal training, sitting right just like Elisha did Elijah. I mean, I don't know about you. Listen, I'm, I know what it was like to be a young preacher boy. I think I still am one in some ways. And so I kind of think like that. I'm just kind of interjecting my feelings to the text. I'm not sure if that's right or wrong, but it's probably wrong. But I'm just thinking about what I would think if I was just one of these random sons of the prophets. I thought, okay, Elisha got the mantle from Elijah. Elisha was Elijah's servant. Gehazi, he's the next one, right? I mean, he's going to be the next. He's got, you know, when Elisha goes up in a chariot of fire, he does it. But if I'm get, you know, one of these guys, I'm thinking that he's going to get the mantle, right? Gehazi is like, when what an enviable, an enviable position that Gehazi is in. And the Bible reminds us and emphasizes for us his position, his position, this detailed description of 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 what he is and who he is and what God has allowed him to do. But can I tell you something? When he ran after Naaman and flat out lied to him and took what he was not supposed to take. Can I tell you something? He wasn't thinking about that. He wasn't thinking about, man, look what God has given to me. He wasn't thinking about, man, look what God lets me do. Man, look what look what look look at what I have. Man, look how God, look how good God's been in my life. Man, look at all the blessings God's put in my life. Look at this ministry God's given me. Look at look at what God's allowed me to see and allowed me to be a part of. He wasn't thinking about all that. He wasn't thinking about what he had. He was thinking about what he didn't have. And I, I know this is simple tonight, but you better get a hold of this. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, when the devil comes, that's exactly what he wants to emphasize in your life. That's what he did with Eve, wasn't it? He come to Eve. He didn't start talking to her about, man, look at all these trees God gave you. Man, look at this whole forest. I heard Brother McBride uh, say last week, I was with him in a meeting last week, and he, he said that Eve couldn't see the, uh, she couldn't see the, uh, uh, the forest for the tree. How about that? The devil put her attention, her focus on one tree. There it is. The devil didn't come to Eve and say, man, look how good God's been to you. Man, this perfect world and, man, all these trees. You can eat of every tree of the garden. Wow, man, God sure is a good God. Man, he sure has blessed you. Nope, he come to that very one thing, the very things that God put parameters around and, and put boundaries around and said, don't mess with this, don't eat of this. And the devil focused her attention on what she did not have 
instead of everything that she did have. And when she took of that fruit, she was not thinking about how good God had been to her. She was not thinking about how much she had been blessed. She was not thinking about all the blessings she had in her life. She was thinking about what God was withholding from her. And she was thinking about what God had put outside of the boundaries. And can I tell you something? Listen, thankfulness is not just some cute little you know, slogan you can crochet on a pillow somewhere. Thankfulness is the key to victory in your Christian life. Being thankful, being thankful, being thankful will save you and keep you from a lot of foolish decisions. Be thankful for what you have. It's just as simple as looking around and being cognizant of the fact and looking around and saying, man, God's given me a wonderful wife. God's given me a great husband. God's given me a great family. God's given me a great church. Man, God has been good to me. And you won't, get, and you won't be tempted by what you don't have if you stay thankful for what you do have. Amen. Amen. But he began to devalue his ministry, despise. That's what that word despise means. That word despise doesn't mean to hate something. That word despise means to think little of something, to belittle it, to be little in your eyes. Something that should be big, something that should be wonderful, something that should be great in our eyes. We're tempted to make them small and shrink them. And when those things get small and we begin to shrink them, I'm telling you what, we're in a vulnerable position. We're about, we're about to make a huge error. We're about to make a huge mistake, a huge misstep in our life. I can't help but think about Old Testament Joseph and think about uh, the, the great temptation in his life. Genesis 39, uh, that, that wicked woman, Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, she began to cast her eyes on him and look at him and, and, and began to tempt him and began to... And try to allure him and try to try to bring him in and, and, and he would he would he would uh, spurn her advances and, and her solicitation to sin and, and here's what he said here's what he spoke up and said to Mrs. Potiphar he began to list the blessings of God in his life he said my master has given me everything he said I want you to know how good my master's been to me he don't even know everything he's got he's put it all in my hand there's only one thing he's withheld from me and that is you I'm not going to focus on the one thing he hasn't given me Joseph said I'm going to focus on all the things he has given to me man look around see how good God's been in your life before you throw it away before you walk away from it before you just treat it like trash remember that God's been good in your life Man, it's more than just a slogan. It's survival. Survival. In times of temptation. Remember your privilege. Remember your position. Remember how good God's been to you. Dwell on it often. You won't be tempted with what you don't have. Not only... Did he despise his ministry? He wasn't thinking about his position. He wasn't thinking about where God had put him and what God had given to him. That was so amazing. He could only think about what he didn't have. And what he was told no about and to. Not only did he despise his ministry, but secondly, he disrespected his master. He disrespected his master. Notice this. Look in verse number 20 again. He said, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said... Behold, my master hath, I circle this word right here, spared. You see that? Spared Naaman, this Syrian, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. He spared. You know what the, you know what the implication of that is right there? You know what Gehazi is saying? That Elisha, his master, has messed up. He's made a mistake. He should have 
took the money. He should have took what was being offered, but he spared them. He, he, he let him off the hook when he should have took the possession and took the money. In his mind, he began to degrade and disparage and disrespect Elisha. Elisha doesn't know what he's doing. Elisha doesn't have a clue. Why in the world, why in the world would Elisha turn down money like that? And it's actually, it's, if you go back to the, if you go back up a couple of verses above where we read, Naaman was not only offering money, Naaman was urging Elisha to take the money. He urged him to take uh, It's verse 16. He urged him to take it. I'm going to tell you something. That is one thing I ain't ever seen in a Baptist church. Now, I've seen preachers get up behind the pulpit and urge people to give. And y'all may not have ever been here, but if you've ever been to Faith Baptist Camp in Resaca, Georgia, that's, you know what I'm talking about. You don't know. My, my, I don't got time to tell the stories, but I'll tell you this. My wife, she grew up going there, just a little kid. Well, brother, Sammy Allen. You ever heard her name, Sammy Allen? Okay. He knew how to take up an offering better than anybody. Well, he would get, he would get all the kids out of the, he would get all the kids out of the, uh, out of the congregation and put them in the choir. All of them. I mean, you know, like from ages 5 to 18, he would get them all. My wife was one of them. She's just, you know, 9 or 10 years old. And she, he would put all the kids in the choir, and he would make the parents give money to get them back. <laughs> now, hold on a second. Don't do that to me. I'll leave them. Most, I mean, some of them. <laughs> Don't tempt me like that, all right. But anyways, he made me, he just urged me, offering, they're, they're notorious for offerings, go on and on and on, on. That's, where, that's where I was raised, around, around that. And I've seen, I've seen preachers get up and urge people to give, but I ain't never seen anybody urge a Baptist preacher to take an offering. Now listen, somebody tries to slip me a little something or give me something or whatever, I might say no the first time, but listen, I really don't mean it. <laughs> Y'all know that's true. But listen, if they, if they offer again, you best believe I'm going to take it. Amen. My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you get me. Amen. But, <laughs> you know, because, you know, that verse in the Bible, you don't want to rob people of a blessing. Where's that verse at? It's somewhere in the Bible. You don't want to rob them of a blessing now. Amen. <laughs> but he urged me. Now, if you can imagine, here's Elisha, and he's refusing. He said, no, absolutely not. Naaman is repeatedly offering and he's got a generous spirit. The man, the man just got saved. I mean, he's bubbling with the joy of the Lord. Generous, you know. He's ready just to give it all. And he's a wealthy man. I mean, he, giving these things, it, it, would have, it, would have changed, uh, it would have changed the status of the ministry. And it would not have changed Naaman's status at all. It wouldn't even have put a dent in his wealth. It absolutely. And I'm going to be honest. From a human level, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to have to side with Gehazi on this one. That makes no sense. I mean, can you imagine... Can you imagine if, 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 if Sunday morning, you know, everybody's filing in here and, and in, in, in the crowd slips in, in the, the doors in here, slips in Bill Gates and he comes to church here on a Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be something? Now listen, that is never going to happen. 
but let's just say it did. And, and Pastor Fleur gets up and, and like he does, preaches the gospel and, and, and just the life-changing power of God and, and preaches against sin and preaches on Calvary and the blood. And listen, people flood the altar and one of them, and one of them that comes down to the altar is none other than Mr. Gates himself. And he comes in. Can you imagine if Bill Gates come in this church and he, he come down here repentant of all his globalization and vaccine stuff and all that? All right, I've been on the internet too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, love good, I love a good conspiracy. But anyway, he come down here and repented of all, he repented of all those things. And, 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 and he got saved. Can you imagine if Bill Gates come in here and got saved? And he's just so excited about being saved. And he pulls out his checkbook and says, All right, I want to make, make a donation. Victory Baptist Church, Victory Baptist Press. I don't know, $100 million? You know, he wouldn't even miss that. He wouldn't even miss that. It would be like you and me buying a, you know, putting a dollar in a vending machine and get a pack of crackers, you know. $100 million. Victory Baptist Press. Victory Baptist Church. $100 million. Can you, can you believe that? But, but, but Pastor Fleur says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me pray about it. And then after he prays about it, he says, you know what? I'm sorry. We're just, we're not going to be. And, and he gets on his knees. And he says, take my money. Take $100 million. And Brother Fleur says, no, no, not right now. This is this just, it's not what we're supposed to do right now. But thank you so much. We're glad that you got saved. We'll find you a good church in California or wherever he lives. I don't know where he lives. And then he walks out the door. Now, I'm going to be honest. Now, listen. I'm going to be honest about this. If I'm a deacon in this church, I'm mad. <laughs> if, I ru- if I run a printing press that was made in 1942 or whatever, and I don't, I don't know if you have, I, don't, I have no idea what's back there, but in my mind I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm back here trying to hold things together. We could use that money to buy the state-of-the-art equipment and how many rolls of paper and what could we do with all this money. And don't say, hey, listen, I don't know if y'all know it or not, but y'all need some more room around here. I ain't nowhere to sit. Y'all need some prime property somewhere and build a big old, you know, something with a big old balcony and all this. You could, I mean, think about all the things you could do, the missionaries and the, and the, and the printing work and a building and all the things, all the things that you could do with that money. And I'm going to be honest, if, I, if I'm on staff around here and, and, and I, I'm getting, you know, $74.38 a week or whatever, and I'm not saying you have anybody like that, I'm just saying I hope, Lord, I hope nobody's making $74.38 a week. I promise I ain't talked to nobody. And, and I, you know, things need to be fixed. And we talk to the preachers. Like, well, we just don't have the money right now. And just don't have the money for this. And we just don't have the money for that. And I'm sick and tired of hearing that. And somebody's offered $100 million. And he said, no. I'm going to be honest. Now here, here's what I would do. I quit. You know why? Because I don't understand why? In what world would it make sense not to take this money? And in Gehazi's mind, Elisha has lost his. In Gehazi's world, Elisha is crazy. Why in the world? But can I tell you, that's exactly how the devil operates in our life. You know what he does? He wants to cast suspicion on the mind of God. 
and suspicion on the goodness of God and suspicion on the sovereignty of God and the sanity of God. The devil comes to us and says, man, God's crazy. Why would he withhold that from you? That's what he said to Eve. He said, man, God, God knows that this would change your life. God knows that this fruit would be, it would open up a brand new world to you. It would be enlightening to you. It would be so much better. But God is withholding these things from you. And she begins, she began. And I think in that book, In God's School, there's a little poem in there about think good thoughts of God. Think good thoughts of God. I, I wrote that down uh, somewhere about, about how the, how the day, he, wants to, he wants to cast suspicion on God, but we have, to, we have to work at thinking good thoughts of God that God always knows what's best and by the way he always has our best interest in mind you say well I don't understand why would why would Elisha listen I don't understand it all exactly either but have you ever thought about this that maybe maybe God knows more than you do you ever thought about that that's a possibility isn't it might be more than that what if God knows what if God sees a bigger picture and what, what, what if God, in fact, Elisha insinuates that in verse number 26 when he says, he asked, he asked Gehazi, is it a time to receive money? I, I circled that word time right there. Is it a time to receive money? You know, sometimes God knows that maybe it's not a bad thing that you're wanting, but it's just a timing thing. It's just not time for it. It indicates that maybe down the road there would be a time for it. But for whatever reason, this isn't the time for it. Now, I'm not sure if this is what Elisha was even thinking or not. I don't know. Maybe it was just the, the Lord told him not to take that money. I have no idea what was going on exactly through Elisha's mind right here. But I do know this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus only mentions one miracle from the ministry of Elisha. It's this one. And in that, in that mentioning of that miracle, it is an indictment against the Pharisees and against the Jewish leaders that would not heed the message of Christ. They would not listen to what Jesus had to say. And so he insinuated this, that if you don't want to hear what I have to say, then I'll take it to the Gentiles. This was a Gentile getting cleansing. He was saying there were many lepers in Israel, but only one got cleansed. It was a Gentile that got it. And they got mad. They were about to pick Jesus up and throw him off a cliff. They got so mad, they knew exactly what Jesus was insinuating. The, the, the thing is this, is that this, this cleansing of Naaman the leper was used by Christ to illustrate Gentile salvation. Now, how much does it cost for a Gentile to get saved? It's free, ain't it? I don't know if this is all what was going on, but you know what this is? This wasn't just Naaman getting cleansed. This was a type of Gentiles being saved by grace, through faith, cost nothing, plus nothing, minus nothing. And you know what Gehazi just did? He just broke that. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but God wasn't too fond of people breaking types in the Bible. I'm going to tell you, all I'm saying is this, whether, that was, whether that's what's going on or not, I don't know. But all I'm saying is, there's a bigger picture that Gehazi doesn't understand. And when you cannot understand it, and when you don't know why, listen, always know God knows best. And it's just not time for it right now. Don't let the devil tempt you 
into thinking bad thoughts of God. He loves you far more than what you can imagine. He wants what's best for you, even when you think He's withholding what you think is best for you. He's right and you're wrong. He disrespected his ministry. He despised his ministry. And it's that way every single time. And then let me give you one last one and I'm done. Not only did he despise his ministry and he disrespected his master, but I'm going to call it this, he dismissed his meeting. He dismissed his meeting. Uh, notice what it says here in verse number, 20, let's say 24. He came to the tower. He took them. That's talking about the possessions that he was not supposed to take. He took them from their hand, the servants that helped him carry it to his little apartment there in the tower. And he bestowed them in the house. And he let the men go and they departed. Look, look, look at verse 25. But he went in. And here's, notice this. He stood before his master. You know what else Gehazi wasn't thinking about when he took that what he wasn't supposed to? He didn't think. He wasn't thinking about how good God had been to him. He wasn't thinking about how, how privileged he was. He wasn't. He, he despised his ministry. He wasn't thinking about how wise his master was and how good his master was. He was disrespecting his master. I tell you what else he wasn't thinking about. He wasn't thinking about the fact that he was going to have to stand before his master and face him one day. It's almost like that first word in verse 25 is the word but. I, I circled that in my Bible. It's a, it's a contrast. It's almost like verse 24, he took the stuff, he put it in his little house, he bestowed it all away, he hid it all away. It doesn't say and he went in. It says, but, which means it looks like he's gotten away with it, but everything's about to change. And he has to stand before Elisha. And the Bible says, Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And I love this. He said, Thy servant went no whither. He's like, Nowhere? Now, hold on a second. I got five kids. Let me tell you something. When... When you ask a kid, uh, what have you been doing? And they say nothing, they've been doing something. Because if they were doing something they weren't ashamed of, they would tell you what they were doing. They're always doing something. If you say, where have you been? And they say, nowhere. Listen, they've been somewhere. Write that down. There's your parenting advice for the day. He said, thy servant went no whither. <laughs> like, oh, I ain't been nowhere. And look at what he said, verse 26. And he said unto him, went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? He said, went not mine heart with thee. You know, when, when Elisha asked Gehazi, where you been? It reminded me a lot of when God came and asked Adam, where are you? Where are you at? You know, what, you know what Adam and Eve weren't thinking about when they took of that fruit? They weren't thinking, you know what? God's going to come. And we're going to have to face him. We're going to have to stand before him one day. And can I tell you what you and I fail to think about whenever we sin? It's the fact that there's a day coming. 
We're going to have to stand before him one day. Now listen, I know all of our sins were judged on Calvary. I believe that. We're not going to the great white throne. We're going to the judgment seat of Christ. Now if you'll, if you'll just nod your head, that'll skip about 30 minutes of preaching right there. So you know I know what's up, all right? But I will say this. We're not going to be judged for our sins, but we will be judged for our stewardship. And we'll be judged as sons. And there will be rewards and there will be loss of rewards and there will be all those things. And we'll have to give an account. We'll have to give an account of our stewardship. And I want to tell you something. One thing that motivated Paul, read 2 Corinthians 5. One thing that motivated Paul was that judgment seat of Christ. And he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now listen, that terror of the Lord, it's not talking about hell. Look at it in context. It's not talking, and I've heard people use that and say, well, knowing you know, that there's a hell, we have to persuade men. We have to go soul winning. That verse ain't talking about soul winning. Now, knowing there is a hell ought to make us want to go tell somebody about Jesus. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's just not what that verse is talking about. He's talking about the terror of the Lord on him. He said, we persuade men. It's a long thing, but it was something he didn't want to do. He didn't, Paul didn't like persuading men. He didn't like commending himself. He didn't like defending his apostleship. He said, but I do it because I'm going to have to stand before God one day for my ministry. And he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He said, we, we do the, I do what I do because I know I'm going to have to stand before him one day. And the truth is this, if you're saved by the good grace of God, one day we're going to have to look face to face in front of our, our master. The one who loved us. By the way, isn't that what Elisha said? And I'm trying to hurry, but look, look what he said. He said, went not mine, what? My heart with thee? You know what Elisha told Gehazi? He said, man, when you went run off that chariot, when you, when you went to go do what you weren't supposed to do, what, what I explicitly said was forbidden, when you went to go do that, he said, Gehazi, I took my heart with me. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I'd rather get 10,000 whoopings than for my dad to say something like that. Don't talk to me like that, Dad. Please don't talk to me like that. I'm disappointed in you. You broke my heart. I'm going to tell you something. If we were more concerned about breaking the heart of God, we would be a lot more concerned and a lot more careful about breaking the law of God. Because that is the greatest commandment, isn't it? To love the Lord thy God with all your heart. You can hang all of the commandments on that one. If you love, it's always a heart problem, isn't it? It's always a heart issue. But to realize He loves you. He cares about you. And when you break His law, you're really breaking His heart. He wasn't thinking about that. It's always that same story. And then we find that he destroyed, destroyed his life, didn't he? Leprosy. It's always that same old sad story of sin. First, in fact, that's Romans 1. Before you ever get into all the, all the wicked things that are mentioned in Romans 1, you know where it starts? Neither were they thankful. That's where it starts. We take, we take for granted the blessings of God. And then we begin to think disparaging thoughts about God that He's holding back on us. He's he, he not giving me what I need to be fulfilled and satisfied in this life. And the only way I can get it is to step outside of the bounds. And then, and then we, begin to, we begin to not even think about the fact that one day we're going to have to stand before Him and give an account. One day. And then 
before we know it, we've destroyed our life. Always the same. Every single time. I'm going to tell you something. If you think you're an exception, you're in the most slippery place of all. If a man thinks that he standeth, what is it? Take heed lest he fall, right? We better be careful. We better be careful. Just a little warning tonight. I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be your story. You know what we need to do? We need to make sure we're thankful tonight. We need to take some inventory and see how good God's been to you. We need to respect your master. We need to think about that judgment day one day. We need to recalibrate just a little bit sometimes, don't we? Amen. Maybe we can do that tonight. Let's stand together all over the building. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. It's a serious thing. Lord, homes are in the balance. Lives are in the balance. God, I pray that you'd warn somebody. Lord, I, Lord, I'm taking the warning tonight. God, you've warned me again tonight. Lord, I pray that none of us would feel like we're above anything. We're beyond anything. Lord, help us to take some serious inventory of our own heart and life tonight. Be serious about this thing. I pray that you'd help us tonight. Be thankful. God, you've been so good to us. How could we, how could we trade away jewels for just a bunch of rocks? But God, I pray that you'd... Lord, help us prize and value your blessings in our life. Help us think about that day we'll stand before you. Help us have a heart that wants to please you, wants to serve you. Help us love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind.